1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, Navigating Life's Difficulties. This is part 9, and the title today is, Why Do We Believe Our Trials Are Strange? Verse 12 says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. We are not to think it strange of these fiery trials that are unprecedented upon Christians. Like, this is not normal. When Peter said fiery trials, it might have been in his mind of the Christians being strapped to poles and pitch on them and lit up there in the garden of Nero, his royal garden. He might have been thinking along those lines and saying fiery trials. But he's just wanting them to know, don't think it's strange. If you're being burnt on a pole in Nero's garden as a Christian, you did nothing wrong. He says, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange you are being accused of something that Christians never did. And today, don't think it's strange that you've been talked about or accused of things that are untrue. It's not strange. It's actually the Christian life. We are just like everyone else in this world. When we go through a trial, we think this trial that we're going through is unheard of. No one's ever been through something like this. It's the worst thing that could have ever happened to a person. That's the way every person thinks of their fiery trials. For we believe if we are good people and live in the right kind of life and have become better people living for God, sure, there will be some trials with kids and finances and job. Sure, there might be some health issues, but fiery trials, they're strange. They can't be right. They should never be. But to face trials of persecution from others who are Christians and who are not Christians, you know, it blows us away at times, no doubt. It's not like you are shoving Jesus down anybody's throat. Sure, you might share the hope of eternal life of Jesus, design that they come to Christ. Sure, you might even invite them to church with you. Yet, in all that, they talk about you behind your back. They speak of you as an evil person. They avoid you at all costs, and there's a reason for that. For the very simple reason your life now brings Christ conviction to their lives without Christ. And to alleviate that conviction is to stay away from you. It helps them to say bad things about you so it justifies their position. Now, Jesus said this in John 15, 20. He said, no one is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If it happens to me, count on it happening to you. So those should never be strange as much as they are common for us as Christians. One of our explanation for these fiery trials that come upon our life, which is wrong, is that we think God is angry with me. I did something wrong in my walk with my relationship with him. That's why he has allowed this horrible trial to come upon my life. God's upset about something I did or I didn't do. And of course, in our prayers, we're asking the Lord, what did I do wrong? I want to make it right. Is there sin that I committed that I shouldn't have committed? There are even people around you. They're well-meaning people, but they'll tell you that there, there has to be sin in your life. God would never allow this to come upon any human being unless there was some kind of secret sin. There's no way a Christian should ever have to go through what you're going through unless there is some sin in your life. I'm sure you look good on the outside, you look good at church and all that kind of stuff, but in your heart, you know, and that's the thing that they say. You remember Job's friends, for 30 chapters, they kept telling Job, this is all coming down on you because of sin. 30 long chapters of them just constantly in his face saying this is happening because of sin. Of course, it was not true. In Jesus' day, they believed when a child was born that it was born with some, if it was born with some kind of malformity 
Well, they believed back then it was caused by the parent's sin or the child was a great sinner in the womb. That was the mindset in Jesus' day. That's why the disciples asked Jesus of a man that was born blind from birth. They asked, was he this way because of himself or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. Wrong thinking. And of course, this is an emotion that can easily be manipulated by our own conscience or by other people. So understand, this is the conclusion that people come to when a fiery trial comes in their life. But they don't understand what the Bible says, and the Bible makes it very clear. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It tells us also in Romans that God, that God you know, uh, says that everything works together for good for those who love the Lord and are of the called according to his purpose. This is what the Bible promises us. Our sins have been covered, past, present, and future. And what happens on this earth to a Christian, God is working that out together for his good. He will work it out in those trials. And may the fact of God's word always win out over the emotion that can easily be manipulated by our conscience and by other people. Think about it. What was the mindset of those Christians 2,000 years ago? who had Jesus in their hearts, they turned their lives around, they were full of love and good works, and now they find themselves on poles in the royal garden of Nero, having pitch poured upon them, and now they're getting ready to be lit on fire. Were they praying, God, I'm sorry for whatever I did wrong to cause this to happen? I mean, those good Christians sewn up in animal skins and the pack of dogs released on them, were they saying, sorry, God, for not witnessing to my neighbor when I had the opportunity to do that? Listen, in their final few minutes of life, did they conclude, I must have done something wrong, and God's mad at me? And if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll never see that there. They're praising God all the way up into death. Listen, whatever you are facing, be it a divorce, a wayward child, financial problems, job problems, death problems, disease, those are fiery trials. Understand God's not mad at you. He has you covered by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And everything is working together for good, for an eternal perspective, for an eternal purpose. It has good wrapped in it. Just believe the promise, believe the fact of God's word, for he is always faithful. Plus, there is a blessing attached to it. You know, sometimes God will make ourselves our own counselor. By way of bringing a scripture from his word into our lives or somebody speaks it to our lives, it goes into our eye gate or our ear gate. And we do that and we find ourselves at times talking to ourselves. We're kind of rehashing that to ourselves. You might think that may be weird. But listen, as you grow older, you find you talk to yourself all the time. Sometimes you can give yourself some good advice, some expert advice sometimes. The older you get, the more you talk to yourself and you don't care. Sometimes God will make ourselves our own counselor. I remember when I was driving my granddaughter Nora home one day back to her house and she's in the back seat in her car seat. I forgot she was there and I began talking to myself. After a few minutes, Nora goes, Granddad, who are you talking to? I said, to Granddad. And then I asked her, do you talk to Nora? And she said, no. And I go, listen, when you get older, you will. And she says, well, that's weird. And I go, yeah, but you won't care when you get older. As a matter of fact, when you go to Psalm 43, 5, you find out that David talked to himself, where he said, why are you cast down, O my soul? 
David was talking to himself. God used David to encourage himself, to give himself some expert advice. So don't think this fiery trial is strange. Don't think this should be foreign to Christianity. Let God make you your own counselor. Feel free to talk to yourself. In verse 13, it says that we rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you might also be glad with exceeding joy. If you reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their parts, he is blaspheming, but on your part, he is glorified. Listen, he says, when we're going through these fiery trials, instead of saying God's mad at us or saying this should never happen to a Christian, he says, go to a different place. Go to the place of rejoicing. Rejoicing. And Peter gives us three good reasons why these kinds of trials can be a joy. Number one, he says, we partake in Christ's sufferings there in verse 13. Remember the people who crucified Jesus didn't love him. That means not everybody's going to love us. We should be honored to be treated by the world in the same way they treated him. And the world would see something in us that was in Jesus. That would be the highest compliment in life. Number two, when his glory is revealed, you will be glad. That's right. You will be glad. Why? For it's when you and I will be rewarded for our faithfulness to him, our faithfulness to his word and to the call upon our lives. And even though we were rejected and persecuted and suffered pain and hurt in this life, even to the place of a fiery trial or trials, we know we will look into his eyes and we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to praise us first things, his first. Praise is going to be given to us because we've done well because we were faithful all the way to the end. And then he'll say, you've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things, which is the reward comes after the praise. And then he'll say, enter into the joy of the Lord, which is the glory. So there's praise, there's reward, and then there's glory. And those who were put on poles and covered in pitch and put in the garden of Nero, they stayed faithful all the way to death. They will look in Jesus' eyes and hear that praise, hear that reward, hear that glory that the Lord will bring their way. Number three, it says, for the spirit of glory rests upon you. In other words, whenever there is a hurricane or an earthquake and you are one who's lost everything, house, home, belongings, a place to live, maybe a relative or even a close loved one, are you one to still realize that the glory of God rests upon you in the worst of times? For as horrible as the bar was raised in that fiery trial in that evil world, so will the bar be raised by God to rest his glory upon us at such a time. You and I allowing the glory of God in our lives to overwhelm whatever the situation is. Whatever the horrible situation in our lives, he will add the glory of his presence. He will raise the bar. And it's like those, you know, that were martyred in Fox's Book of Martyrs, like Polycarp. He was the pastor in Ephesus. At 86 years of age, they tied him to a stake and they brought wood and they put it in, and laid it at his feet. And they gave him chance after chance after chance to deny Jesus. But he said, for 86 years, my Lord has been faithful to me. I Shall I now deny him? And they lit the wood around him as he began to sing the praises of the Lord. And the Shekinah glory of God at that horrible time shined out greater than those flames at his death. We don't want to wait for heaven to receive his glory. We can receive it in our most trying time. No doubt God does raise the bar at that time. Verse 15, 
goes on to say, or actually verse uh, yeah, 15 and 16 say, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And so basically, you know, if you suffer for doing wrong, well, then you, you're getting what you deserve. And, you know, there's discipline. If you're a child of God, there will be discipline that will come. And so if you're a child of God and you murder or you thief or do something like that, you're going to be disciplined for that. So there will be that kind of judgment that will come upon us from that thing. But it also says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter, once again, in his summation, gives us perspective. This life on earth for Christian is the worst it will ever get. This life on earth for the non-Christian is the best it will ever be. You see, for us Christians, living right now on earth is the closest thing to hell. But for the non-Christian living on earth, it's the closest thing to heaven for them. Earth is middle ground for the Christian and the non-Christian. So if it's our closest to hell, then that's right, what Peter said, judgment starts in the house of God. And that's why we go through our difficulties, our persecution, and those kinds of things that happen to Christians because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Non-believers, oh, they're living their only heaven that they will ever have. But when their judgment comes, it will be far more horrible because it will be forever and ever more. Listen, we should never allow great persecution, rejection, suffering, or pain to compromise what we know is good and right in our walk with the Lord. And that God will determine when the end will come for my suffering and hardship. But I don't want to hijack what he is wanting to accomplish in my life by compromising to ease the suffering and the difficulties. You know, why be a Christian right now? Why does my faith need to stick out now? I don't feel like going through this. And you find yourself compromising your walk with the Lord. No, God will never give us anything that we cannot handle. He will never take us beyond what we can endure. And he will never fail us in that regard. You know, every single apostle, including Peter here, was martyred for their belief in Jesus Christ. Peter will be crucified upside down, for, for as tradition tells us, he was not worthy to be upright like his Savior. I prefer to be crucified upside down. All were martyred. Only John lived through his martyrdom. But in all this, it's what Peter is writing isn't theory, isn't philosophy of thought, just giving us some good things to, to meditate on. It was eternal truth that he was an example that he lived out all the way to the very end, rejoicing as he got the privilege to suffer as Christ suffered. He found that a great privilege. So understand, God will never fail us. God's eternal reputation for faithfulness is bound up in your and you personally. So don't look upon fiery trials as strange, or God is mad at you, or because of sin, or, what, or because of what somebody says. Understand, God is in complete control. All we have to do is one simple thing, is trust Him.